0: Listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Balkum as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Welcome to the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you save your marriage no matter where things are right now. If you're starting out, If you're in trouble, all of those are all falling into the same place where we need to get into a mindset shift and a new understanding of how marriages work, why they work, why they fail, and what to do to get you back on track. I've been answering a lot of readers' questions over the last little bit, and I want to continue that today. Uh, This one comes from a number of different people who have written in saying that their spouse is basically saying... You know, we're just opposites. There's no way we can be together because this won't work. We're opposites. Now, that's an interesting little proposition that the spouse has. I mean, after all, people find each other not because they're opposites, but because they somehow fall in love. And then suddenly, what happens? They say, We're so opposite. How could we ever do it? Now, what's interesting to me is that there are a lot of different areas where people decide that they are opposites. For instance, some people say that they are opposite personality types, whatever that might mean. Maybe one of them is really loud and funny or quiet and funny or sarcastic, and the other uh, takes offense to that or somehow injured by that, hurt by that, or just doesn't do that. Maybe it's a different piece, though, maybe a different way of understanding the world around personalities. Or perhaps they're really talking about something like introvert and extrovert. An introvert is somebody who gets their energy from kind of pulling away. An extrovert is somebody who gets their energy by being, pulling towards people in particular. Now, this isn't so much about whether somebody's shy or not, but introvert-extrovert is uh, a kind of a scale of how much or how little someone wants to be alone and how much or how little they want to be with other people. Now, being alone doesn't mean all by yourself. It may be with somebody, but you know, basically it's this. If you're really on a slow day, you know, you're know, you really tired, you're dragging around, do you want to go to a party or do you want to go home and be by yourself? That's a good way of judging are you an introvert or an extrovert. Now, it has lots of other ways that it plays out in life, but that's a good way of thinking about the energy exchange. So then there's another way that sometimes people talk about this opposite things, and that's love languages. Yeah, if you're familiar with the idea of Gary Chapman, which I think is a wonderful idea, it talks about the fact that we all have this language that we understand and how we're loved. And sometimes people have different love languages, and so maybe they miss each other's speaking of love. Now, he talks about these five different love languages, and it's a brilliant concept, it's a great concept. And part of what happens in the early days of people falling in love is they are speaking all five love languages because they're doing everything they can to show their love. then over time, they begin to move towards the one that is their primary love language. And what if the other person's not speaking that primary love language? Then maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the opposites that people are talking about. A lot of times, though, it ends up being about hobbies and interests. You basically are convinced that there's no way that they and their spouse can get along because they, they, they're opposites on their interests. Maybe one of them really likes to do high adventure stuff and the other likes to read, for instance. Or maybe they're imagining that you know one person is uh, really interested in, in some esoteric thing and they're not at all interested in it or one wants to travel, the other doesn't want to, things like that. Now, the interesting thing about that is the reality of all of the things I just named is that they're not opposites. Let's think, for instance, about personality types. There's no profile that shows people as opposites in personality. They might have different personalities in different parts of their personalities. But whenever we put personalities out, for instance, on maybe between this and this, where are you? It's not that you're opposites. It's how much you are on the scale. Or let's take it even further where it's maybe a more clear example of introversion and extroversion introverts extroverts nobody is at the opposite end at the very end of extroversion and nobody's at the other end of introversion i mean we're all somewhere on a a, and so if you just think of it more like your height you know how tall are you how short are you it's not opposite somebody who's shorter than me is not the opposite height of me they're just a different height and it's the same with introversion and extroversion maybe you're at different places on that scale but That doesn't mean you're opposites. My wife and I both are introverted kind of people, but my wife is more social than I am just by nature. And so she interacts with people. That doesn't mean that she's an opposite of me. It's just that she is more social in interacting with people. She's more comfortable being in uh, groups of people and interacting and kind of, um, you know, making everybody feel comfortable than I am. That's just a difference in our personality makeup, not opposites. Now, my brother is an extrovert. My father is an extrovert. My mother is an introvert. But none of us are opposites. We are just at different levels of that. If you think of the scale of going in two different directions and zero being I'm neither introverted or extroverted, then it's not that you're looking at opposites as much as scale. How about love languages? Well, there are no love languages that are opposites. You can't say that uh, you know acts of service is at the opposite of uh, words of affirmation or that touch is at the opposite of gifts. They're just different. Or how about hobbies? What hobbies are actually different? Maybe one person likes more exciting things than the other person, but that, that's not the same as being opposite. It's just different. The fact is that many times... We have come to kind of decide that things are opposites when they really are not opposites. They're just different. That's the problem with this reason that someone might give for why it won't work out. They give the reason we're opposites. And in fact, the reality is we're just different. So now we get to a different place. Maybe a spouse says, well, we're so different. That's why we can't ever hold together. The fact is that anytime you put two different people together, they are going to be, by definition, different. Now, One of the concepts that I talk about in my Save the Marriage system is complementarity. Let's go in a different direction for a second before we come back around to that idea, and that is the compatibility myth. You probably are familiar that for a number of years, there are a lot of apps and online coaching or online uh, dating programs that have been designed to find who you're compatible with. And there's a belief that there is somehow a measurement of how somebody is more or less compatible with somebody else. Now, here's the interesting thing. Those dating services do get people together. But they have no better track record for long-term relationships than people just randomly meeting like we used to meet before the dating uh, became online. And, And by the way, there's nothing with online dating. I just want to point out the fact that these compatibility scales have never shown themselves to be accurate in predicting who's going to be able to stay together. The compatibility myth is the more alike you are, the more likely you are to have a successful relationship. But what it misses is how alike people are just by nature. For instance, let's say that I meet somebody at college. We're already somewhat alike in our outlook just by where we are. Or maybe I meet somebody. I go to a city and I'm in that city and I meet somebody. We're kind of alike because I'm in that city and they're there too. So there are a lot of ways that we're already alike by whoever we meet. But usually that's not where the interest comes. In the beginning part of a relationship, the interest comes from figuring out this other person. Now, I do believe there has to be a place where our uh, outlook is close enough that we're not having to figure everything out about the other person, that we can make some assumptions. When my wife and I first met, one of the things we did is probably what most people do when they meet. They look at all the things you have in common. You know, we once kind of realized that we were on the same beach the same week of the same year. I mean, we were probably within a block of each other on the beach one time. And we thought, wow, look at that. What are the chances that we were both there? Now, we didn't meet at that beach. We just happened to be at the same place. But it gave us some sense of commonality to be able to talk about that beach both of our parents had some shared professional stuff. Both of our fathers were ministers. Both of our mothers were in education. So we had that in common. We felt like we had some commonality to that. Both of us had an older brother. I had a younger brother. She didn't. So that was a little bit different. But, you know, we, we were sibling, had sibling stuff. And we grew up in a very similar kind of perspectives in our household. And so we felt like we had a lot in common. That was background, though. What I found intriguing was what was different about my wife, the way she saw things differently. The difference is what kind of got my attention. I had to figure things out about her, had to learn more about her. So the fact is that there doesn't need to be uh, something that where we match up on everything. We don't have to be just alike. We might have to have enough commonality. So here is the basic commonality that I think is necessary. I think that we have to have a very similar moral value outlook. Very similar doesn't mean exactly the same, but very similar. Because I really think that at some level, we have to match up and agree on some things. Now, what level of that? Well, you know, it has to be a pretty big thing. For instance... I once had a couple who came into my office and the man had decided that he wanted to take on another wife. He didn't want to divorce his first wife. He wanted to add a second wife to it. He wanted to be in a polygamous relationship. The woman, however, did not believe in polygamy and he basically wanted to come in and me convince her of that. The problem is my outlook (laughs) matches her outlook and not his. But they had hit on one of the places where I think it's it's very hard to move beyond. Their moral values were almost so opposite that there's no room for the other. Either you could be polygamous or not, polygamous or monogamous. You can't do both. So there's an exclusionary piece to their moral values that was a problem. At another point, I had a couple that came in, and um, he believed that you should be Uh, truthful with people, as truthful as you could possibly be. She thought that lying was okay if it got you to a better place. And they were struggling with that because he didn't trust her, because their moral values didn't match up. That's a different thing. So I do believe that you need an underlying place where your moral values are lining up. And here's the interesting thing. It's almost always true. Not always, but almost always true. I just told you two cases where their moral values were in uh, opposition to each other. That's the rarity. So I've had people say, well, see, my spouse had an affair. That proves that our moral values are not the same. And that actually is not true. There are many times when people rationalize their decisions and think that they're overall, they would say that uh, cheating on a relationship isn't isn't right, isn't okay, and still they do that. The fact is, that's true for lots of us that say that we believe one way, but we often act another way. I mean, that's just kind of human nature. So we have to be careful about how we set that up. We have to be clear uh, that we're really talking about true, stated, and accepted moral values that we have. And when they match up, we have a basic level of connection with that. Beyond that, there's a whole lot of other pieces that really are not as opposite as we want them to be. Now, there are a couple of what I think are make or break decisions that people have to make before they get married. For instance, I've talked with people where one wanted to have a child and the other did not want to have a child ever. You can't get beyond that. That's not a negotiated out thing. But most of the time, by the time people get married, they've kind of settled in uh, to a, a common approach to life. They have a lot already in common. In fact, at that point, it's not about opposites. It's about how do you learn about the differences. So why do we have this problem when people start thinking that opposites are going to be a problem? That we're so opposite, we're not going to make it. Well, that's because of the connection between them. That's the real issue. There isn't enough connection between them to fuel it. The differences don't matter when you're really connected, but they are magnified when you're disconnected. Let me say that again because it's so important for you to realize. Differences between people don't really matter when you're connected, but they're magnified when you're disconnected. Now let's talk about how we can kind of think about that in other terms. Sometimes what divides us from other people is, say, a political view or a view on a social issue. So there have been a lot of groups that have tried to figure out how do we get to a communication across those differences. And and what they realized is that when you get people to know each other first before you ever reveal what you believe about a subject, when you reveal your point of view, it's more likely that the person will still accept you and be interested in talking with you than if you lead with what divides you. Because there's no connection there. If I met a stranger and they immediately told me how they felt about some social issue and it was different than what I believed, I would not likely want to continue that conversation on very long because I would know that it's just going to be an argument. However, if somebody that I knew and loved told me that they had a difference of opinion, I would probably want to hear them out on why they believe that. Now, we might try to convince each other a little bit on how to see it the other, other way, but in reality, what has happened is I've at least been willing to listen to the difference because I have a connection. So for most couples that are doing well together, it's not about how alike they are as much as how connected they are. When we are connected with somebody, we're willing to move through the differences, to learn about the differences, to accept the differences. So let's take that a little, little bit further. Some people have this myth that couples have to do everything together. They need to have the same hobbies and interests and friends. But the research shows that couples who are the healthiest have a balance point. They balance their connectedness and their sameness with their differences. Because in their differences, they can bring energy into the relationship We all have a certain amount of energy, and the question is how that energy is flowing through this. And so there are couples who have so little connection between them because they invest all of their energy outside, and then there are those couples who have no way of bringing extra energy into the relationship because they're so invested in only the relationship. They're the super glue couple that do everything together, that do everything alike, that want to match up on everything. Now, the superglue couple has no external point where the energy is coming in. The couples who are so disconnected internally because they do everything externally don't bring any energy back into the relationship and the connection begins to fail. The balance point is when we are connected with each other enough and have enough external connection to bring that energy we get from some other interest or hobby or something else to it. Think about how many times somebody introduces a spouse to a hobby or a new place to visit or a new food or new music, and you're very interested in that. It may never be your favorite, but it broadens your perspective a little bit because they brought a little bit of energy in. That doesn't mean they have to shift over. Now, my wife is more of a mountain person. I'm more of a beach person. We tend to go to both places and appreciate both places. I like to do water sports. That's not my wife's thing. But she likes to do other things that are not my thing. And we support each other in that activity. Right now, I've, for the last couple of years, I've been doing lots of jujitsu. That is not of interest to my wife. She doesn't mind if I come home all bruised up and having been tapped out in the evening. But that's not what she wants to do. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be that. But she does, except that that's what I want to do. And she accepts my interest in that and is willing to listen to what I'm learning about that and how that's moving along. And I'm willing to listen to her experiences with book clubs and all the other activities that she does and her work with nonprofits and things like that. They just don't have to match up. So you can bring in some extra energy from external places when you have those differences. Let me take it one step further. Let's go back to that compatibility versus complementarity piece. So I didn't explain the complementarity piece. You're complementary with somebody when one of your weaknesses is their strength, and one of their weaknesses is your strength. You bring that together to be at a better place. You can kind of complete the process of what you bring in. So maybe one person is really good with the numbers, and the other person really just doesn't like numbers. Well, they balance each other out. Or maybe one is super spontaneous and the other is super at planning. They balance each other out in that. And when the relationship is at a good place, that balance works. But when there's disconnection, you start seeing that as being a broken place. Many times when couples would come into my office for premarital counseling, that they had to talk to me before they got married. I would start asking about this balance point. You know, where are you weak and your spouse is stronger and vice versa? And they would tell me. And sometimes I'd hear things like, oh, you know, I'm very spontaneous and my spouse is much more the planner. And so I bring some spontaneity into it and my spouse brings some, some planning into it. So I fast forward, they come back to me and one of them is telling me how anal their spouse is and the other one is saying how flighty their spouse is. They're basically talking about somebody who is being spontaneous and somebody being a planner but from the bad angle, because they've disconnected. Not because those are problem issues, but but because of the disconnection, they're not willing to allow that into the process. Whenever people tell me that they are just alike as their spouse, one of the things I remind them is that in a partnership, if both people are exactly alike, one person is really not necessary to the partnership. That's true in business. That's true in life. If we don't allow the differences of our spouse to come out, we're blocking a place of growth, of potential, of bringing our best self to the relationship. So the fact is that this issue of we're opposites, or you might say we're uh, not compatible, is, number one, a connection issue. And it's, number two, an understanding issue. When you're disconnected, the differences are magnified. And when you're disconnected, you're not willing to try to understand those differences and learn from it. So that brings us once again back to the reality that connection is the issue of what happens in a relationship, who we are, what we bring into it is so important. It's important also though, for there to be that connection that allows the nurture to move through. Now, if you find yourself at the place where you're struggling with the connection, now you know that the claim of being opposites is not the problem. It's really the connection issue. Then you know, to reverse engineer it a little bit, that what we need to solve is the connection issue. We need to figure out how to heal the disconnection that's in the relationship. If you're interested in doing that, that's why I created the Save the Marriage system. If you don't have it yet, please grab the Save the Marriage system at savethemarriage.com and get started with that. Now, when you grab the system at savethemarriage.com, I offer you a free week of my VIP program. Now, one of the reasons I suggest you do that is because it really gives you some extra resources and extra training that really can help you move a lot faster, a lot more effectively and efficiently. And if things are really bad that really gives you the extra push to get there. In fact, I talk about understanding space and connection in ways uh, that doesn't invade the other person's space. And that's very important. If you're trying to go from a disconnected relationship to a connected relationship, you have to make sure you move through that process in a way that doesn't cause problems, more, more problems in the relationship. So the starting point, if you've realized now that the issue is not that you're opposites, but that you uh, have a connection issue, grab my Save the Marriage system at savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. Now, if this has been helpful for you and you'd like to help me spread the news a little bit, I would love it if you would leave a review. The easy way to do that is just go to savethemarriage.com slash review. That's savethemarriage.com slash review. That will allow you to leave a review on whatever uh, way you listen to this, whether you listen to Apple or wherever uh, you might grab this uh, podcast uh, and let you listen to it. So uh, do that. That's savethemarriage.com slash review. That's savethemarriage.com slash review. And remember, if you need to heal the connection, head on over to savethemarriage.com dot com and get busy with the system. This is Lee Baucom wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.